Everyone else can go ahead and take your Bibles and let's start opening to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 this morning, we're going to work our way through verses 5 through 9 as we talk about walking worthy of the gospel at work. And so Ephesians chapter 6, picking up this morning in verse 5, we find ourselves in probably one of the more difficult texts in the New Testament because here Paul addresses bondservants or slaves and masters. And so as we work our way through the text this morning, we're going to talk about not only what this text means and how to apply it into our lives today, but we're also going to ask some difficult questions of the New Testament authors, such as why did they not address slavery in the way that we would have hoped they might would have addressed slavery. So we're going to talk about all that as we make our way through the text this morning. So let's begin Ephesians chapter 6. Here Paul is beginning to instruct slaves and masters as to how they can walk worthy of their salvation. And in the text, we're going to see two ways in which we can walk worthy of the gospel at work. And so let's read the text, we'll pray, and then we'll walk through it together this morning. Chapter 6, verse 5. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Verse 9 Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for bringing us together this morning into your house that we might not only worship you through song, but Lord, that we might worship you through your word this morning. I pray that you would give us insight and understanding into this text, that we might know what it means and that we might know how to apply it into our daily lives. Lord, as we hear your word and we respond to it, I pray that you would be glorified in how we respond. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you're going to do in your house and in our lives. It's in your holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, again, in the text, we're going to see two ways in which we can walk worthy of the gospel at work. Now, before we get into the text, though, it is important to answer some obvious questions and contentions that tend to rise up when we read this text. For instance, was Paul condoning slavery? Why did Paul and other New Testament writers not speak out against slavery? Now, these questions and questions like those are very valid to ask of the text. And what becomes clear as we study throughout the New Testament is that the New Testament authors were not writing to condone or condemn society. They were not writing in an attempt to overthrow what we would acknowledge are sinful societal systems that were in place. Instead, the New Testament writers were writing to both explain and present the gospel message of Jesus Christ. They were writing to make known Jesus, to make known the gospel and the implications of the gospel in the church's life. Now, 
was Paul against slavery? I would say if you look through the book of Philemon, where Paul is writing to Philemon, a slave owner, presenting to him Onesimus, his beloved brother who was Philemon's slave, it is quite clear that Paul is asking Philemon to set Onesimus free because he's a brother in Christ and Paul needs him for the sake of the gospel. But again, Paul was not writing to overthrow the government or to overthrow society. He was writing to impact the kingdom of God. As a matter of fact, we see the same, the same difficulty that the New Testament has with Jesus. Jesus did not come onto the scene to rescue Israel from Rome. That's what Israel wanted, right? That's what the Jews were looking for, is a political savior, not a spiritual savior. And so Jesus does not come addressing the difficulties that Rome had imposed upon Israel. He comes to set his people free, not from Rome, but from sin. We see the same situation here. Paul is not writing to set those free who find themselves in slavery. He is writing to set them free spiritually by showing them the gospel. And so all of that sort of enhances our reading and understanding of the text. And so as we make our way to this text, praise God, no longer in a system where slavery exists. Amen? We then ask ourselves, how then do we apply this text into our daily lives? And while it is certainly not a perfect parallel application, the best application that we can make from the text is as we look at things within the workplace. Employees versus employers. Again, we understand and acknowledge that is not a fair comparison in any way, shape, or form. However, it's probably the best comparison we can make for the sake of application. I also want you to know as we go through this text, this text is going to have implications for everything that we've seen in the household code so far. What I mean by that is that as Paul instructs bond servants as to how they respond to their masters, and as he instructs masters as to how they're to lead their bond servants, those implications are also going to be seen for husbands and wives and for parents and children. And we'll see that clearly as we make our way through the text this morning. So, All that being said, let's begin in verse 5 and let's see our first point this morning. Employees work as unto the Lord. Let me say that again. Employees work as unto the Lord. Now, as Paul has throughout the household code so far, he begins with those in a position of subordination. And so he first speaks to the term or to the people that are bondservants or slaves. Now, if you look at the term bondservants in chapter 6, verse 5, I want you to notice that some of your translations have bondservants. Others of your translations have slaves. And this is the Greek term that is used to refer to a slave. But what is clear in the text is that it's used to refer to a certain type of slavery that was bondservant. So when you think of the word slave, this is difficult, but do not think of what we see in American history. Because what's referred to, bless you, what's referred to in this text is not slavery as was seen in America. It is a different type of slavery that was seen during Rome and during the nation of Israel at this time. So what this was, is this wasn't an employee-employer relationship. It wasn't that simple. These were those who had found themselves in debt, 
And because their debt was too big, they had either agreed to enter into slavery in order to pay off their debt and earn their freedom, or they had been born into slavery because their parents were indebted and working off their debt, or their debt was so big that a judge had sentenced them to this type of debt uh, relief in order to earn their freedom. Now again, this wasn't what we see in American history, where slavery was, was literally the captivity of a certain people, uh, people group and bringing them in. It's not what we see in history, but that doesn't mean that it was a good thing. right? Don't, don't think we're watering it down. It wasn't a good thing. It was still a bad thing. It was something that we certainly would oppose as believers, but it's not exactly what we saw in American history. And so bondservants, notice, are told to obey their earthly masters. Their earthly masters have authority over them, and therefore they're to obey them as they submit to their authority. Notice as well what it says in verse 5. They're to do so with fear and trembling. Now, if we're not careful, we'll misread that because that phrase doesn't mean with fear and trembling towards man. Matter of fact, Paul never uses that phrase to refer to man. He always uses that phrase to refer to the fear and the trembling that we're to have for God. We will all one day stand before God in judgment. Amen? And because of that, we're to come before the Lord with fear and trembling. We're to come before the Lord with respect, knowing that he will judge all that we do. Those things that are done in public, those things that are done in secret when we think no one else is looking, God will judge them all. Amen? And so Paul addresses the bondservants. He says to obey their masters with fear and trembling, not towards their earthly masters. That will become crystal clear as we move on in the text. He's not telling them to fear man. As a matter of fact, he's telling them the opposite as this text moves on. He's telling them to come before the fear of, come before the Lord with fear and trembling and obey your earthly masters as those who have authority over you. Notice they're to do so with a sincere heart as they would Christ. In other words, out of their sincere devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he continues on, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. Paul says you don't do this because someone else is watching. You don't do this because you're trying to please man. Instead, Paul says you do this because you're trying to please who? God. Paul says do all that you do under the authority and under the eye of God. Don't try to please man. Instead, try to please God. Now, let's just pause there for a moment because there's huge points of application that all of us need to hear before we go any further. Listen, we do a lot of foolish, sinful things as mankind because we're trying to please man instead of trying to please God. We get in a whole lot of trouble. We fall to temptation oftentimes and to peer pressure oftentimes because we're worried about what others are thinking or are going to think instead of what God's word has clearly said. And by the way, if you think peer pressure stops when you get out of high school and college, you are sadly mistaken, right? Even as adults, we fall to the fear of man, to peer pressure often, amen? And what Paul says to these bond servants is don't worry about what other people think or what others are seeing. Don't try to please man. Don't do this out of eye service because others are watching. You do what you do because God is always watching. 
And so Paul says that because they are all bondservants of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're to fulfill God's will in their lives. Notice that in verse 8. He says, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers. Excuse me, I can't see because the light's not on above me. Verse 6, not 8. The, the numbers are getting smaller. My eyes are getting worse. It's not a good thing. But we're moving on, pretending like I'm as young as I used to be. All right, verse 6. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Paul says, you are a bond servant in your current social standing, yes. But more importantly, Paul says, we are all bond servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, we are all supposed to be fulfilling the will of God in our lives from a sincere and pure heart. And so Paul says that we're to do this as we seek to bring glory to God in our lives. So because we're all bondservants of the Lord Jesus Christ, we should all be fulfilling God's will for our lives. So how then do we apply this text into our lives? Because by God's grace, slavery is no longer something that exists in our society By God's grace, that's not how this is going to have to apply to us today. So then how then can we apply this text to our day-to-day life? So again, this isn't a perfect illustration. It isn't a perfect correlation. But when we think in terms of employees and employers, we tend to find the best points of application. So let me give you some applications that will help for those of us that find ourselves as employees. But employers or those who find themselves in a position of management, listen carefully because Paul's going to begin verse 9 by saying, Masters, do the same thing to them. In other words, all these points of application are meant for everyone in the building today. And so everybody pay attention and let's walk through these points of application together. So first point of application is this. Be content with where God has you in life. Be content with where God has you in life. I I learned this valuable lesson by spending more and more time with the persecuted church overseas. When when we're on the mission field and we're engaging with those and we are partnering with those who have spent time in prison, those who are no longer living in their country because of the persecution they had to flee from, and we find those people not trying to change their situation, but trying to be faithful in the midst of their situation, it is incredibly convicting for those of us that are Americans. And what I have found is that God doesn't necessarily want my position to change. He wants me to be faithful in whatever situation I find myself in. And for those who find themselves in the midst of persecution, by by all means, we are praying that the persecution will end. Amen? We're praying for those who are imprisoned for their faith that they would be released from prison. Just this past week, we got word that there were three more brothers and sisters that were put in jail for their faith for eight years, six years, and two years in a closed country, all because they follow Jesus. We are praying for their release, but at the same time, those who know them well are praying this. They are praying that they would have a gospel impact in the prison where they're at. That's a whole different level, amen? That's not something that we think about. That's not something that factors into our daily life. And what that encourages me to do is to be content with where God has me in life. 
Now, does that mean that we should not improve or try to improve our situation? By all means, try to improve your situation as God allows. Right? If you want to, to go from this job to another job and you need to go to school to get a better education, to, to, to make something better of yourself in a worldly sense, and that's what you feel God leading you to do, then by all means do it. But don't do it because you're not content with God in your life. Amen? Do it because you feel like God's leading you to do so so that you can further his mission, not so that you can better your situation. Amen? Remember that we're to do what we do for God's glory in order to fulfill his mission in our lives, not so that we can have a successful life here on earth and then spend an eternity regretting the fact that we didn't live for Jesus more in this life. This life is not the life that we're living for. Amen? We're living for the life that is to come. So be content with where God has you in life. Secondly, be content with God's will for your life. See, these are two different things. Where I'm at in life is where I'm at right now in life. Being content with God's will for my life means that I'm content with what God has planned for the rest of my life, whatever that might look like. Now, how can I be content with God's will for my life? By acknowledging that God is God and I am not. Now, that's become cliche, so let me make sure we understand what that means. God is God, meaning that God knows all, and God knows what is best for me. God is, me. God is God, meaning that God loves me, as his word makes clear, and that God wants what's best for me according to his eternal plan. I am not, meaning that I really don't know what's best for me. Amen? I am not, meaning I have no clue what tomorrow is going to hold. I have no clue what this afternoon's going to hold, much less next week, next month, next year, so on and so forth. And so when I come before God, I acknowledge, God, you are God. You are all-knowing, all-loving. You want what's best for me. You want to use me to accomplish your will through me on this life to bring yourself glory. And God, that's exactly what I need. And that's exactly what I want. Amen? And then as God reveals his will to me, and I go, but I don't like that. I don't want that, then I have to honestly just come before the Lord and say, God, I, I don't like that. I might not want that, but if it's your will, then it's what's best for me. And so, God, I'm going to do that. Amen? So I want to be content with where God has me in life, but I also want to be content with God's will for my life. And then the third point of application I want to make is do all that you do as unto the Lord and not man. Don't, don't please man. Please your heavenly Father. The fourth point of application, do not fear or try to please man. Instead, fear and please the Lord. Again, what the New Testament makes clear is that we will stand before God in judgment. Amen? As a heavenly father who will bring about his judgment upon his children. Now, like many of you, I have a father that I respect that I know loves me and therefore I'm able to have fun with and laugh with, but I also grew up fearing when it came to judgment. 
You know what I'm talking about? I, I knew how to have fun with my dad. I knew how to have an incredibly good and intimate relationship with my dad where I knew he loved me, he knew I loved him, and we could have great fun together without fear, without trembling, we had fun. I respected him without question because of the way he lived his life and who he was. But I also knew that when I did something that went against his commands, because they were commands, not suggestions, amen, I knew what it meant to fear the discipline of my father. I knew what it meant to experience his grace and his mercy. I knew what it, was, what it meant for him to let me off the hook. But I also knew that when judgment came, judgment was not going to be fun. And that's exactly what Paul is communicating here in this text. The master who is over all, the one who sees all that we do, do, he's going to judge our works, both good and bad. If they're good, we'll be rewarded. If they're bad, we'll be judged. Therefore, we come before the Lord with fear and trembling, trying our best to please God in all that we do. Another point of application, trust that God will judge all things, both good and bad. And then finally, understand these applications are true for all of us. You say, well, I'm, I'm the boss at work. Therefore, this doesn't, this doesn't apply to me. No, no, no. Notice what we see as we move in to the next part. Notice Paul says, masters, do the same to them. In other words, these points of application apply for all of us in the building this morning. We want to do all that we can unto the Lord. As a matter of fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So wherever we find ourselves in life, we should do what we do for the glory of God. Amen? And so employees... Work is unto the Lord. And then secondly, employers lead as under the Lord. In verse 9, we see that masters are now addressed following the same pattern that we've seen all throughout the household code that began back in Ephesians 5, 22. Those in a position of authority are not permitted to exercise their authority however they want. Those who are in a position of authority, whether it be husbands, parents, or here masters, they've been put in that position of authority according to God's grace in their life, but they are all under the authority of God and will answer to God for how they exercise their authority. Amen? And Paul makes that crystal clear throughout the text. Thus, Paul begins by telling them to do the same thing. In other words, all that was said to bondservants is also applied to masters. They are to lead as unto the Lord with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart committed to Christ, not with the fear of man, but under the fear of God as his servants. Paul tells them not only to do that which is positive, but he also forbids them for doing that which is sinful and negative. He says, masters, do the same thing and stop your threatening. In other words, you are not permitted to abuse your authority. Stop threatening. Stop doing things that are wicked and sinful. Because what Paul says next is true for all of us. He says, because the same master that is over them is also over you. And he doesn't care what you do for a living. He's going to judge you the same. Amen? There is no partiality with God. And that is why it is sinful for us as his followers to show partiality ourselves. 
Because God sees us all the same way. He does not see us as black or white. He does not see us as rich or poor. He sees us as lost or saved. He sees us as his children or as his enemies who desperately need Christ. Amen? That doesn't mean that we don't have differences. What it means is that God sees us the same and he sees us as those who have either accepted his son or those who are still rejecting his son. He judges us all the same way and therefore we better exercise authority as God has given it to us. Again, this would apply to all who have been addressed so far as having authority. Husbands, parents, and masters, we will all stand before God to answer for how we have exercised our authority. So what then would be the application for us this morning in this portion of the text? Again, the parallel is far from perfect. But if we think in terms of employers or anyone who is over others at work, maybe you're a manager, something like that, we can draw out some applications. So first point of application for, for those who are in a position of authority, lead knowing that God is watching. Man, wouldn't this change how we exercise authority across the board. Even as a parent, if I parent remembering that God is watching, won't that change the way I parent? Amen? Again, as I, as I confessed last week, oftentimes I parent out of selfishness, right? Kids are being too loud for my liking, right? They're doing something that I'm frustrated with. And so I respond in frustration, not because I'm trying to disciple them to Christ, but because I'm trying to make my day better in that moment. If I will remember that God is watching, it'll change the way I parent my children. Because I'll remember that the same one who has authority over them is the same one who has authority over me. Amen? And because God has given me that authority, he's going to hold me to a higher standard for that authority. So lead knowing that God is watching. Secondly, lead others in a way that blesses them and points them to Christ. Listen, we see this all throughout this household code. Husbands are to exercise their authority in a way that spiritually benefits and blesses their wives. Parents are to exercise their authority in a way that points children to Christ. And here, masters are to exercise their authority in a way that blesses those who are under them and points them to Jesus. And by the way, that's not just an application for masters, but isn't that what all of our lives are supposed to be about? Living for the glory of God while pointing others to the Lord Jesus Christ? Matter of fact, isn't the only thing that's going to make a difference in eternity is what we do with Jesus and how many folks we share Jesus with? Which brings me to the final point of application for those that would consider themselves in that employer role. Remember that this world is temporary and therefore our aim is God's glory, not workplace success. Employers would do well to remember that if their business goes under but they've brought glory to God in the process, that's a win, not a fail. Now, you can do both. Have workplace success while bringing God glory. That's a win-win. We're good with that. Amen? But I just want to remind us all of what is primary and what's most important. It is not this life. It is the life that is to come. Amen? So we are raising our children 
We are leading our families. We are, we, are, we are acting in such a way in the workplace that our goal is to bring God glory in all that we do. And then as we close, let me remind all of us that we are all called to be bondservants of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul makes this point clear in this text back in verse 6, but he also makes it clear all throughout the New Testament as Paul most often refers to himself as either a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ or a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's what following Jesus means and that's what it entails. That is why Paul refers to Jesus as our master in verse 9. Because when we come to faith in Christ, we come submitting ourselves to his lordship in our lives. How does that work? It works by putting our faith and our trust in the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news is that you and I are sinners who are separated from the grace of God and from the mercy of God. We are separated from the love of God because of the sin that is in our life. And if it was up to us, we would have no hope of eternity, no hope of forgiveness, no hope of eternal life with God. But because God loves us, God sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross so that our sins could be paid for, so that our sin debt could be taken care of, and so that if we would put our faith and trust in Jesus, his blood would be applied to our sin. And his blood would wash away our sin, setting us free from sin, that we might be able to live our lives for his glory. Perfect, far from it. But enabling us to live for his glory because Jesus Christ has taken our sins away. And we come to the Lord Jesus Christ having faith in who he is as God's son and what he did in dying on the cross. And then we commit to following Jesus in our lives. You see, this is the difference between just believing and following. Anyone can believe. Scripture says that even the devil and the demons believe. But we want to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who come before him, not merely as those that believe, but those who surrender themselves to him as those who are bond servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm a slave of Christ. It's no longer about what I want. It's no longer about what I am aiming for my aim my goal my want is now to follow jesus so i want to follow him wherever he leads i will go as the old hymn says that's what it means to follow christ and maybe you're here today and you've never given your heart and life to the lord jesus christ you've never trusted him in that way maybe you've believed in the past but that belief has never followed through with a commitment to follow jesus well if that's you this morning then I believe that God loves you. And I believe that if you've yet to follow Christ, God might just be calling you unto himself right now. And you can feel God speaking to your heart. That's proof that God loves you and that's proof that God wants a relationship with you. So what do you do? What's well, real simple. You just say yes to Jesus. Yes I believe he is God's son. Yes, I believe he died on the cross. And yes, I want to follow him for the rest of my life. If you're here this morning and you feel God calling you unto salvation, calling you into a relationship with him, then this is your chance to respond. In just a few moments, we're going to stand and we're going to sing our hymn of invitation. 
And if you want to, you can simply come forward and say, Will, I want to give my life to Jesus. I feel him calling out to me. I want to give my life to Christ. And I'd love to share with you more about how you can follow Jesus. You may say, there's no way I'm walking down in front of all these people. That's okay. After the service, come find me and say, Will, I want to talk to you more about how I can give my life to Jesus. But I feel God speaking to me and I want to figure out what he's trying to say. I'd love to share with you more about how you can follow Jesus in your life. But listen to me, if God is speaking to you, do not ignore it. Say yes to Christ. Amen? And you too can become a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ, living your life for the glory of God and for the proclamation of the gospel. What do we do? We do all that we do for the glory of God. Regardless of where we find ourselves in life, regardless of what our situation looks like, We do what God has called us to do ultimately for his glory. Will you pray with me? With heads bowed and eyes closed, let me encourage you. If you feel God speaking to your heart about your salvation, then I'd love to talk with you more about what that means. Whether you come during this invitation or after the service, do not leave here today until you've answered God's call in your life. Secondly, believers, let me ask you, are you bringing God glory in the workplace and in your life? Doesn't matter if you're an employer, employee. Doesn't matter if you're the low man on the totem pole or or maybe not even touching the totem pole. Are you bringing glory to God in the workplace and in your life? If not, confess that as sin before the Lord. Ask for his forgiveness And then recommit yourself to bringing God glory in all that you do. Lastly, maybe you're here and the Lord is leading you to make this your church home. If that's you, then then you follow the Lord as he leads and you come this morning as well. This altar is open. You can come and you can pray. If God's doing something maybe completely different in your life, that's fine. You come and you pray. I'll be happy to pray with you. But whatever and however the Lord leads, let's follow him now. Lord, we love you. And we praise you, Lord Jesus, for all that you are doing in our hearts and in our lives. We commit ourselves to you and surrender ourselves to you during this invitation. Lord, you lead, we will follow. It's in your holy name that we pray, amen.